How about giving it up for him one more time? It was, it was awesome stuff. Hey, go ahead and uh, have a seat this morning. My name is Pastor Art. I get the privilege of teaching today. And I'm going to be teaching, uh, continuing in a series called Time to Quit. And today we're going to talk about it's time to quit being critical. All right, time to quit being critical. So if any of you have a critical attitude or a critical spirit or are inclined to say critical things, um, this, this might be uh, a good day for you. So let me, let me start with this. First of all, the Rock Church uh, wants to welcome you and let you know that um, we are um, a free will ties and offering church. And I did a talk last week about the difference between being a general giver um, and generous giving. The difference between being a general giver and generous giving. And, and all of us can be general givers from the standpoint that sometimes people can say things, they can encourage us to release resources to a specific cause, and that's why we give. But a generous giver is someone that, that without prompting, uh, freely releases resources to something that's bigger than themselves. And I, my encouragement was release resources to something that's bigger than, than you are. Um, release resources here to the rock um, because you believe in its philosophy or its mission with respect to Christ as the center of all things and we're a wildly inclusive church and nobody should be denied the gospel. Uh, release resources to those things that, that enable us to help the community and specifically things like Project 150. So we want you to know that releasing resources is really something that we do from a free will perspective and, and we do it uh, because there's causes and concerns in the earth uh, bigger than who we are individually. We encourage you to do that. There's lots of ways to be generous online. You can uh, uh, give, there's a giving kiosk, there's offering boxes, you can set up auto pay, all kinds of things to do. But your life will change when you become someone that freely releases resources. Um, sometimes it just feels good to be able to let things go and, and bless other people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together uh, asked this morning um, that you touch each one of our hearts with regard to our generosity and that would, we would be generous like you were in sending your son. You gave everything of value and you gave it for us. And we thank you in your son's glorious name. Amen. Hey, next, um, next Sunday is Vision Sunday. We're encouraging you to be here on Vision Sunday on the 26th. We're going to talk about, no, not next Sunday, two Sundays. I, f I forgot, there's, an, there's still a football game next week, right? Okay, we, we intentionally scheduled it, so how about those Niners, huh? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I don't personally care for them, but that's okay. <laughs> Anyway, January 26th is um, the next Sunday where there's no football. It's, the, it's the, what they call the dead Sunday between uh, the last playoff games and, and the Super Bowl. So be here for Vision Sunday. We're going to talk about the, sort of the 2020 vision for the Rock Church. Um, and it's not the 2020 vision for the people that are on this side of the, on this side of the platform every Sunday. Uh, the Vision Sunday is really for everybody that's out here. And so we're encouraging you to be here for, for that, to find out um, what we're going to do and we're, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it in, in 2020. And then also I want you to know that on Vision Sunday, uh, there's going to be a special baked potato bar after services. 
Um, so watch out for that. Um, we encourage you to be a part of it. That I think it's going to cost um, five bucks for the potato bar. So be be here for that. And also, if you're if you're a guest this morning, uh, welcome uh, to the Rock. We love. Um, well, we just love people that are uh, maybe like I was at one point in time. Kind of um, life wasn't exactly working. Um, so we started kicking tires, um, shopping for a church or looking for a church. Um, and, and it's one of those things where sometimes it just feels like this is the place. And, and hopefully that's a feeling that you get here today. Um, encourage you after the service to go to the welcome area. They have a, f- they have a free gift for you to um, just to say thank you for being with us this morning and give you a little bit additional information about who we are as a ministry. And, and who we are as a ministry is a ministry that's really serious about trying to extract each week something from the Bible or, or Scripture that um, isn't just a verse that we know, and can repeat, it's actually something that we end up doing in our lives because our lives have been impacted in some way. And so before we go on this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And normally we say good rock morning to one another on a Sunday morning, um, but today I want you to say good morning to someone and, and then tell them that by the end of the day, I hope not to be as much of a critic as I used to be. You know them up there, way up there, do you? Okay, cool, that's cool. You want to sit by them? You're okay there? All right, okay, cool, all right. All right. <laughs> hey, on April the 23rd, 1910, uh, Theodore Roosevelt stood outside of, uh, on a platform outside of, of Paris, France, and he gave us uh, one of his most famous speeches, and it was called uh, Citizenship in a Republic. Citizenship in a Republic. And it was in that speech that that Theodore Roosevelt espoused his personal philosophy about what it meant to be a citizen um, in a free state or or in a republic. And he talks about in the speech um, what our responsibilities are with respect to citizenship. And he coined or it was coined in this speech, it was called The Man in the Arena. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of The Man in the Arena, but it goes like this. It says, it says this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man that's actually in the arena whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood and strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and there is something to be gained when we strive to do the deeds. Who knows the enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement Or who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory or defeat. And so when when Teddy Roosevelt is talking about citizenship, he's talking about those people that are actually in the fight. Those people that are actually in the arena. 
because he knew and we know that, that being a critic is easy. It's easy to sit in the bleachers. It's easy to sit in the stadium. It's, easier, it's easy to sit on the other side of your television screen, and you can criticize things all day long. And, and Teddy Roosevelt says that we don't need more critics. We need more courageous people. We need more people that are willing to step up and do the hard things, even if in doing the hard things that they stumble and fail and have to get up over and over again. But, it, but at least they know the effort that's involved and they get up because they try. And, and to a certain extent, to a certain extent, Jesus talks about the same kinds of things. In, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus talks about critics. Here, here's what it says in Matthew seven, verse one, it says, don't criticize people, and you will not be criticized, for you will be judged by the way you criticize others, and the measure you give will be the measure you receive. And so, so Jesus is really talking here towards, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount where he's espoused all kinds of things, but he knows that he's gonna conclude this big talk with something that we're all prone to do, and that's even when the Sermon on the Mount was going on, there were people probably in the audience that were looking down saying, this isn't how it's always been. This is the first time we've ever heard anything like this. How can he be saying those kinds of things? And, and he He's saying don't criticize because whatever, however you measure your criticism is how it will be measured back to you. And so we need to be very, very careful. And, and so the, c- criticism has a lot of different definitions, right? I mean, when you think of a critic, you can think of, well, I know a person that's a critic or this is how I've been criticized. Uh, but, you know, I, I love the definitions that Urban Dictionary gives us. You familiar with Urban Dictionary? I love them because they come from us, not necessarily from Merriam-Webster or anybody that's in a regular dictionary. The, the, the definitions come from you and I. And I love the definition in Urban Dictionary of a critic. Someone who has no discernible talent, so he or she tries to make you feel as useless as he or she is. <laughs> Criticism. Have you ever given it, or have you ever received it? And, and could, that, could that possibly be true? J- Jesus goes on after he says, don't be a critic, and he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and fail to notice the plank in your own? And, and so th- throughout this morning, we're going to be talking about specks and planks, all right, we, we, we see specks and, and we have planks. And, and Jesus is this, is, this is following up with respect to criticism. He's saying, remember the measure that you use? You know, if you're a speck person or a plank person, that, that's the measure that you're gonna use and, and how you measure will determine how well you're received with respect to what you have to say. And so it goes on, how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own? You fraud. Take the plank out of your own eye first, and then you can see clearly enough to remove the, your brother's speck of dust. It's, it's a familiar verse for us that have been around the church. And, and what happens is that we like to pick we like to pick how we measure. And generally, we measure specks in other people's eyes. 
And, and in, in the process of doing that, sometimes um, you say to yourself, that's not a speck. That's not a speck. That's not a speck of sawdust in that person's eye. I want to tell you that I see that person for who he or she really is. That's not a speck. Because I'm going to call out the speck. It's, it's bigger than you say it is. Because here's, do you know, do you know that that person watches Fox News all day long? It's incessant. Their living room is full of smoke, and they're watching Fox News from the time they get up until the time they go to bed. That's not a speck of sawdust. That's a big deal to me. Or do you know that she's a Democrat? She espouses all of the Democratic things. And do you know that he's a Republican? Who, who by the way, supports all of the white politicians. That's not a speck. That's a major deal in my eyes. Or it may not be about an issue, it may be about an individual. You, you may be s- someone that says, that, that's not a speck. Do you, do, you know, do you know my dad left when I was eight years old and left my mom to take care of all the things that there were to take care of in our family? Never saw him, never heard from him, and all of a sudden he's back later on in life because his health is failing and he wants us to help, that's not a speck. Do, do, you, know, do you know the kind of people that, that he runs around with? He, he runs around with the incorrigible types of people, and I'm not gonna let in any way his incorrigible friends affect me in my life with respect to how I make decisions. Or, or maybe, maybe it's really not about an individual. Maybe it's about an institution. That's not a speck. Do you know what that company did to me after so many years of service? Do, do you know how they cut me off and cut me short with respect to who I was and what I did? And you say to yourself, that's, that's, no, that's no speck. That's a big deal. And, and then Jesus says, what about, what about your planks? What, what about all the things that you're trying to pick out in, in other people's lives? And Jesus says, what, what, a, what kind of solid piece of wood is, is blocking your view on what life is really all about? It, it's, it's one of those things where if, if you're like me, all right, and, and I'm going to be, be the first one to admit it, um, I've, I've, how many have taken personality profiles in the room? You know, the disc profile, the Enneagram profile, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And, and your profile comes back, and what does your profile normally say? My profile normally says that when it comes to, to planks in my eyes, I don't have any. <laughs> right? I don't have any. You know why? Because my personality profile says, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's discerning, he's objective, he's not irrational, um, he's logical in his approach to anything and everything that happens. And I look at it and say, you know, my, the way I see life, I'm pretty sure, all right, now I want you to hear me, I'm pretty sure that I see life exactly the way God does. Right? Do you ever say that to yourself? 
You know, I, because of my, my view, my view and the personality profiles or what people have told me, I'm really discerning or I really have an understanding of people beyond what anybody has ever said and ever understood. And, and then you say to yourself, I'm not, sh- I'm not shaped in life by these things. By these things. I'm, I'm not shaped in life by my childhood or my environment, or my experiences, or my education, or my health, or success, or failures, or insecurities, or opportunities, or IQ, or that's supposed to be EQ, not EI. Can we, anybody, everybody know what EQ is? It, maybe your IQ is in the way of. <laughs> EQ is the emotional quotient, how, how we evaluate life emotionally and and what it is 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 can can you say honestly can you say that your life isn't shaped by your childhood environment experiences education success failures insecurities opportunities iq or eq and and the answer is here we always like to tell ourselves i see the world exactly as it is really remember problem solving a couple of weeks ago when we're trying to make decisions and one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, is are, things the way they really, are things the way they are really, really, really? And so, so Jesus, is, Jesus is confronting us with um, what we pick out of other people's eyes versus the major boards or obstacles that are in, that are in our eyes. See, the reality really is is the world revolves around the university of me. I'm that way. You know, I, I can honestly say that, you know, my perspective of, of life and my perspective of, of things that I see is absolutely 100% accurate uh, until this question comes up. Do any of those things get in the way of the way you see the world? Do any of those things possibly get in the way of the way you see the world? And, and if we say no, we have to go back to the text. And it says right there, let me get the speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own, you fraud. Uh, other versions say, you hypocrite. <laughs> and you know what I love about that? It is, is I love the fact that someone's finally given it to the church people. Okay, there's someone's, you know, standing back and saying, you know, don't, don't say, you know, don't worry about that speck. Um, let's deal with your planks. If you don't want to deal with your planks, um, you're a hypocrite. And, and so the, the church people are taking it on the chin right now. And who are they taking it on the chin from? It's Jesus. Because he's the one that sees exactly the way things are. He's, he's the one that knows our situation. He's the one that knows our life. And I think more than anything else, Jesus wants us to be honest with ourselves. And, and so how do we, how do we, how do you and I, how do you and I overcome the, the things that, that block our vision. And, and he says, first of all, there's a plank removal process. 
All right, I wanna, I wanna walk through the plank removal process uh, with us this morning because it's not just, it's not just you that, that have planks. I have planks. Everybody has planks. And, and, and Jesus says, let's, let's first of all admit. Let's admit that we could possibly have something that blocks our vision. And, and several years ago, there was, a, there was a milk campaign that says, Got Milk? How many of you remember the Got Milk campaign? Yeah, it goes, it goes way back. Got Milk? Well, here's a question for you. Simplified Jesus's. Got planks? Do you have planks? And, and I, think the first thing that, I think the first thing we have to do is, is all of us have to stand up and say, you know, I've got planks. I have to admit, I have to admit that I've been shaped by these things in some fashion. Let me, let me give you an example. As a child, as a child, let, let's say you grew up in a town with 5,000 people. And in that town of 5,000 people, um, nobody ever locked their doors and everybody always kept their keys um, in their car. And it was, a, it was a good old boy. It was a great community. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody watched everybody else's kids. And, and the town was safe. In the period of time that you lived there, there was never any major crime. There was nothing absolutely that was gonna happen there to, the, to any degree. You could get up at six o'clock in the morning and you could come home at nine o'clock at night as a kid and nobody would worry about you because the town was just amazingly green and simple and uncomplex. And then later on in life, you marry somebody who didn't come from the 5,000 population town that you were from. Your sense of security came from the fact that, that you know doors were unlocked and keys were in cars and everybody knew everybody. And, and the person that you married, you found out from them that the city that they lived in, their greatest source of comfort was the fact that they heard the police helicopter hovering over their house at night. And, and so th those are two different, extremely different childhoods. And, and when, when, it comes to, when it comes simply to seeing the world, one, one looks at the world as safe and secure and everything is not too far away and I'm gonna be taken care of. And the other one looks at the world and says, you know, my world is a little bit more complicated than that. It was a, it was a tough place to grow up. Helicopters overhead and all kinds of things going on. And you begin to understand that, you have to understand that we're shaped by our childhood to a large extent and to a great degree. And what happens is that that frames the way I see the world. It, it could be that the environment that you grew up in, the environment you grew up in was a drunken disorderly environment. That, that things were always edgy. Uh, there was always conflict uh, regarding or surrounding alcohol. And, and, and one parent went in this direction and one parent went in another direction. 
and there was not a whole lot of functionality in the family and and you grow up and you leave the family and you end up becoming part of another family where none of that happens and you're edgy with respect to any time anything happens in the family that might involve you know some degree of alcohol or some other element of conflict that just absolutely made you and and made you become an unsettled person in life see what what happens we have to admit that what happens shapes who we are. Experiences. You know, sometimes, sometimes people's whole lives become shaped by some traumatic experience that, that, that limits their trust or gives them the inability to extend, extend trust. And you, and you find out that that it had to do with a, a traumatic event, something like an automobile accident or a horrific injury when they were kids. And all, all, of that, that all of that frames the way we see life and how we see other people. It could be that it, it's a health issue. My, my, my particular perspective is, you know, at 72 years of age, uh, knock on wood, dunk, 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 I've never really dealt with any major, major health issues. And so the way, the way I frame and see life from a health standpoint is different than someone else that's had major, had major cancer battles or chemotherapy battles or tumor battles or the kinds of battles that you have to fight sometimes physically just to get from one year to the next. The, the year has just been fraught with an understanding that I'm gonna make it to next year by the grace of God and by the help of whatever medicine comes my way so that I can enjoy one more 12-month period. In opportunities, what kind of opportunities have you had that have completely shaped your ability to step into the future confidently? versus those people that have had a lack of opportunity because of socioeconomic disadvantage or hardship or family displacement or any of the things that comes along in our lives and all of a sudden we feel ourselves saying, you know what, I've had life pretty special and they haven't had it so special and the way I look at them probably needs to be changed in some regard. Or maybe it's failure. Maybe you've had a failure or multiple failures. Maybe, maybe those failures in some way define you and you have a hard time getting by those um, versus letting failures refine you and helping you rise to the occasion and become over and above what you thought you could ever be. And so w one of the first things we have to do is if we're gonna be less critical is we have to admit that we've got planks. Can we do that? Even, even, though, even though you may not have identified them, uh, are cognitively aware of them, or anybody has tried to point them out, just admit, you know, if, if I'm on this side of eternity and I'm taking a breath, I have planks. Step number two is, I think, the hardest one. Because step number two is, if you don't admit that you have planks, then 
prepare to be humbled. Prepare to be humbled. And, and notice I didn't say the plank removal process has to do with be humble. It has to do with being humbled. And he, here's, uh, uh, I love the way God works in, in my life because I get the privilege of doing this on a regular basis. And one of the things that I never want to do is, is be up here and say, you know, I don't experience what you experience because I do experience what you're, you experience. I live, in the same, I live in the same world. And, and so just to give you an example this week of, I, of being humbled, that, you know, it, it was a reminder that I have, uh, that I have planks. Um, I get the privilege every morning, just about every morning, of taking our granddaughter to uh, Sepulveda School. I went driver from our house to Sepulveda School. And, and if you've ever driven your child to Sepulveda School, you know that it's a circus field with a carnival atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? It, it, I mean, there's like 500 cars that try to get into that little driveway every day. And, and there's, one, there's one light, there's three ways to get in, and, and I happen to drive down a particular drive called, called Ion Drive, which sort of heads on right on into the school. Now, now remember, this is all about being humbled. B- because, and I want you to understand, I'm, I'm, not, an adre- I'm not an aggressive driver, okay? Um, I'm, I'm a like driving Miss Daisy kind of guy. You know what I'm talking about? It's, doo, 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 doo. That's, that's me. I'm pretty much just driving Miss Daisy, I- except for some reason when I'm on this school run in the morning. All right, I, because it's, it's a sensitive thing be, because there's so many cars and you only get so many light rotations to get through and as you're driving down Ion Drive, there's cul-de-sacs that you can't park in front of because people can't get in and out of the cul-de-sacs when you're, when you're driving to school, so you, you have to make sure that you've got the right amount of space because you can't block an, you can't block an intersection. And so I'm driving I'm Monday morning, first day back to school after the Christmas break. Maddie's in the back seat. Um, pretty oblivious to what's what's going on the only thing she doesn't want to do is miss the bell because if you miss the bell you're going to pay hell with her <laughs> she's not going to let you miss the bell and, and so I, i'm i'm hanging a right off of sparks boulevard onto ion drive and and a, a woman coming in the opposite direction is hanging a left onto ion drive and guess who has the right of way i do i do and she cuts me off and you know it's a cutoff because she doesn't look. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know when you're driving and, and you cut somebody off and you know it and you just don't look because you don't want to have to deal with it? She's, so she cuts me off. And, and so I'm immediately right behind her. Um, and she, she's driving a black Ford Explorer. And, and, and I'm a little bit, I'm not, I'm a little, I'm not ticked, I'm just a little edgy. Because as soon as, you get on, as soon as you get on Ion Drive, what happens is you begin to count the cars ahead of you from the stoplight stop and know that how many rotations that you're going to get before you get through the light and you can, I can drop Maddie off. And so it's, it's precise, it's calculated, it's a little bit pressureful at times. And, and, and you just, I just want to get her there and, and be released from that responsibility. It's the, it's the most, it's, the, it's exhausting for me, okay? It's exhausting. And, and so what happens is, is that this, this I'm just going to call her the cutoff woman, all right? 
the cutoff woman in front of me doesn't seem to negotiate the spaces in the cul-de-sacs very well. In other words, she could really pull through um, the cul-de-sac, the cul-de-sac inlet, and put me up one more notch, and, and if she were to do that, I'm pretty sure I can make the third light down the road, okay? And so I'm grumbling and complaining to myself about, you know, you could drive a lot more efficiently than you're driving, and you could be a lot more considerate of me than you are based on the fact that you already cut me off. And, and we get to the last cul-de-sac bridge, and she stops short, and there's plenty of room. And, and it's at that point that I just kind of go, ah! And her backup lights come on. <laughs> and she puts the car in park, and she opens the door like she's coming back to me. Like she knows what I'm thinking to myself or saying to myself or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, I panic. And, and, and when, I'm, when, I'm just about, when I'm just about ready to get in trouble, I always remember what Rhonda says to me. She always says, Pastor Art, <laughs> which is behave yourself, all right? Behave yourself. Well, this woman, I mean, she doesn't just get out of the car. She fires out of the car and goes immediately to the tailgate and opens the tailgate pulls out a child's wheelchair, runs over to the sidewalk, opens it up, runs back to her car, pulls her nine or 10-year-old son out of the car carrying him, puts him in the wheelchair. He does a wheelie on the wheelchair, spins around and says, love you, mom. And she walks back and she mouths thank you to me. And I said, well, no problem. <laughs> Easily done. And I thought, you planker. <laughs> really. It was a perfect example of the plank, me, me seeing the world exactly the way it was, except from her perspective. It, 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 it's tough, but you know what? It's really good for me, and it's probably really good for you to be humbled at times so that you can step back and say, I'm gonna look at the world from a completely different perspective. And, and it could be, it could be that, that you're humbled in ways that, like me, are complete surprises. It, it, could, be that, it, it could be that you were raised in the church or it could be that you have a long church tradition or church history and in that church history or church tradition, uh, certain peoples or people groups were railed upon 
um, by the church. Certain people were railed upon by people that you were familiar with. Um, certain uh, groups of, uh, of those people were picked out. And, and the church had an agenda against those people, and you were fully on board with respect to those people regarding, uh, regarding any issue that they may have in life. And, and then all of a sudden, one day, your son or daughter comes to you and says, you know what, Mom, you know what, Dad, I am one of those people. And you have to say to yourself, you planker. See, God, God is so good that, that he's willing. He's willing to humble you if you're willing to be humbled. Because it's one of the best ways to stop being a critic. See, if, if, if we admit we've got planks and, and, and we allow ourselves and even maybe ask God, I don't, I don't know what my planks are, but I know I've got them. Would you humble me in such a way that they would become exposed and I could deal with them and in the process of dealing with them become more like your son? who sees it all and knows it all and understands it all. And, and it brings us to the last point, which is pretty simple. The last part is of the plank removal process is contribute to the solution rather than criticize the situation. Contribute to the solution You know, I've, I've been around the church for, and pastoring this year for um, 27 years. 27 years in public ministry. And you know, the church doesn't agree on everything. Except two things. We, we, we number one, I think, if we're gonna contribute to the solution, I, I think we have to remember that, let's agree on two things. Number one, that God sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Let's agree on that. And number two, help us get over ourselves. Help us get over ourselves. You know, sometimes we think we have this biblical perspective or we have this scriptural understanding. And we, and we, try, to, we try to break it down, unfortunately. We try to make all of the spec issues, the major issues. This person is that, or this person does that, or I mean, we, we can just go on and on about the, sm the smallest of things b because they're major in our eyes. And, and God says, 
That's easy. Don't, don't, don't spend all of your time dealing with other people's stuff. Spend, spend all of your time dealing with your stuff. And, and recognize this more than anything else. The thing that allows us to deal with our stuff in other people's specs is this thing called grace. It, it's amazing. We, we want it extended to us, but we have a hard time extending it to other people. And grace, grace is really the oil that the church runs on. The church runs on the grace of God. So, how do you oil up your lives to extend grace and begin to contribute to the solutions rather than criticize the situation? First of all, recognize your responsibility to be a citizen. Recognize your responsibility to be a citizen, which, which means I, I'm going to forego my right to criticize the situation, and I'm going to jump in and become part of the solution and change whatever's going on because I care about those things that are bigger than I am. Number two, take responsibility to make something better and just don't continue to be bitter about whatever's happened. Because sometimes in places where we're bitter, it's probably good to start at that point and find out what the real root cause of your bitterness is and then make a decision to move forward in betterness in life because that's what the church is supposed to do. Number three, if you've been critical, if you've been critical, like I was critical driving to school, take time to know and understand and learn about the other person's perspective and then sit back and reevaluate what your position or your stance is. Number, number four, and this is an important one. Be careful about crossing people out of your life because they see things differently than you do or you think the way you see it is the only way possible. There's a story in scripture about two missionary journeys and, and in, a, in one case, there becomes this really bad conflict one group takes certain people in one direction and one group takes certain people in another direction. But what we find is that later on in Scripture, those people come back together because they're found to be useful for one another. And so Jesus is saying, be careful about crossing people off too early in life. Number five. Remember, lukewarm is dangerous. Get hot or cold, but get out of the middle 
and stay off the fence. The church isn't about fence walking. The church is about something specific, and that's furthering the cause of Christ. And so if you're someone here that is neither hot nor cold but lukewarm, it's the most dangerous position we can be in because in lukewarmness, we have the ability to point multiple fingers at multiple situations and they just walk out and be comfortable about it. Number six, remember, remember you are surrounded by people Jesus died for. Whether they know it yet or not, your mouth and your motives will move them closer or further away from the cross of Christ. What are your mouth and your motives doing with respect to drawing or distracting from the cross? And lastly, remember what St. Francis of Assisi said? He said, wherever you go, preach Christ. And when necessary, use words. Otherwise, keep it shut. See, children of God have some tremendous responsibilities. And their greatest responsibility is to the cross and the person who gave his life for your life. Because it's not about individuals. It's, it's really about all of us journeying together in a way that glorifies the God that gave everything he had so that we could become everything he needed in his kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and ask that you continue to bless our time this morning as we reflect on your goodness and your grace in our lives as we sing this closing song and pray this in your son's glorious name. Please stand.